0: Let's stand together, open our Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, let's start reading verse 1. And now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. This is Herod Agrippa I... That's the grandson of Herod the Great. His kingdom extended as far as Herod the Great. Matter of fact, possibly a little further, his influence reached all the way to Tyre and Sidon. And we're going to see, he was lifted up in pride. Verse 19, he threw Peter in jail. Peter miraculously escaped. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. He went down from Judea to Caesarea, their abode and Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon but they came with one accord to him and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country and upon a set day look what Herod does he's arrayed in a royal apparel sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them he gathers the people together for a speech when he does the people gave a shout saying it is the voice of a god and not a man and immediately the angel of the lord smote him i want you to mark this next phrase because he gave not the god the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost for the past few days looking at this text i've been consumed with the thought the phrase that we see right there in verse 23 he gave not God the glory as Christians At some point we have to come to the life-changing realization that everything we do is about the glory of God every day every action every thought every possession it must be about the glory of God God's not willing to share His glory. And I want you to see the contrast to this in God's thought on the matter. Go with me to Isaiah 42. On our way to 2 Kings, Isaiah 42, verse 8. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. Now let's see the contrast to Herod, 2 Kings Chapter 18, speaking of King Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves. Look what the next statement says. He brake in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nahushton. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord, departed not from following him, But he kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went. So in the book of Acts, we see King Herod consumed with himself and his own glory. And here we have the exact opposite. Hezekiah is bringing reformation to the land. He's concerned about the direction that Israel's gone, about the idolatry that is established now within the borders of Israel. And one of the first things he does when he breaks the high places in the images, he finds the brazen serpent. Now, you remember back in Numbers 21, when the children of Israel lifted up their voice against God's man. They complained. That that complaint angered God. He sent serpents, poisonous serpents. And as they bit the people, the people died. They cried out to God for mercy. And God told Moses, I want you to take brass and form it into a serpent put it on a pole and if the people look they can live we know the symbolism in that but 700 years later they're still carrying around this brazen serpent and now instead of looking back and remembering what God had done for them they're burning incense to that serpent he takes it slams it breaks it into pieces he calls it Nahushton. Now, here's what takes place in our life. Really, there's a battle that constantly goes on. A battle because we too have a lot of Nahushton in our lives. Things of brass that steal God's glory. When you think about Moses taking that all the way through the wilderness and then Joshua into the promised land. And then it probably was handled by the king, Solomon and David and Saul. And these men, I don't believe, ever had any intention to see this become deified in the hearts and minds of Israel. But that's man's nature. Man's nature is to take a thing of brass and give it glory, an honor that only belongs to God. Now, there's nothing sinful about an object in life, whether that's a house or a car or a job or a set of golf clubs or knickknacks, a woman women put up in their kitchen, none of that is sinful until we give it more importance than God gives, and our lives pretty soon become consumed with bringing honor and glory to something that God says is a thing of brass. Now I want you to think for just a moment. God wants this earth to be filled with his glory. And after 7 billion people have inhabited this planet, gone their own way, done their own thing, the glory of God is the last thing on their mind. Now, that's not surprising. You're talking about the unregenerate. You're talking about the unsaved. You're talking about the unholy. You're talking about those that don't read this book, aren't indwelt by the Holy Spirit, don't listen to Bible preaching. So if they're seeking their own glory or glorifying something that's made of brass, that's understandable. But God's people, born again, washed in the blood, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Preach two, three times a week. In that book, praying, understanding Bible principle. When we take a thing of brass and elevate it and give it more importance than God does. That's shameless. To think of all the things in our lives that are brass. That we deify. You know how... You can identify things of brass that you've given too much honor, too much glory, and too much importance to. Break it. See what your natural reaction is. Scratch that car. Stain that carpet. Rip that couch. It's disturbing. You know why? Because we place a lot of importance on things of brass, God says there's a constant battle going on and we are bound and determined to establish Nahushton in our lives. You know why young people are leaving Christian schools and Christian environments, going into the world, chasing Nahushton? You know why good people stop soul winning? Nahushton. Chasing a thing at brass. You know, young people, when they get out of high school, I want a car. There's nothing wrong with a car. Listen, you, you can look throughout the city and see thousands, hundreds of thousands of vehicles, some pretty, some not so pretty, some expensive, some not so expensive. None of those vehicles in and of themselves are sinful. But for some tonight that drove into this parking lot, it's in a Hushton because they've taken that thing of brass and elevated it to a place of importance where now missions can't be invested in because Nahushton is taking the place of missions. There are Christians that are still in God's tithe and made their car Nahushton. There are Christians that bought a house and the payments were too high and now they've had to steal from God to make that payment. That house, listen, we all need a house. We all need a roof. We all need a place to live. Well, you better be careful you don't make that in the hushtown. You better be careful you're not glorifying a thing of brass more than God elevating nothingness to a position of importance. In all of life is a struggle because we're supposed to be glorifying God. We're supposed to be glorifying God with our children, with the rearing of the children. But we're chasing Nahashton. So our children are neglected. The instruction, the rearing of our children, the discipline of our children, the the time that we're supposed to be investing in them is more limited than ever before because Nahashton has been elevated. In ministry, we used to be involved in ministry. We used to be able to help. We used to be able to serve. And now ministry has become a nuisance because Nahashton has absorbed so much of our time that God, you know, if, if, I had, if I had more time, I would serve you. You know why we're concerned about inflation? It's going to affect Nahushton. You know why we're concerned about health care and the price of health care? It's not because it's, it's taking money that, that we would like to invest in God's work. It's taking money that we'd like to invest in Nahushton. And now we're carrying around this brass serpent, a piece of garbage. And our life is consumed with burning incense to something of no value. Uh, Go with me to Acts 19 for a moment. Now, it's not just a house or a car. We can understand how those things become hushed in. But Satan will take God's gifts and good things. I've watched churches make a building nahashtan. The building becomes more important than meeting with God. I've watched special music become nahashtan. Where it becomes about man and the glory of man instead of the glory of God. I've watched ministries turning to a hushton where it became about an agenda, a person. Man's pride, man's honor, man's glory, not God's honor, not God's glory. If we, if we do not stay focused, Satan will get your eyes on that object and get you to glorify it and deify it and consumed with it to the point that God's honor and God's glory is forgotten. And how many of us can truly say that we live our lives consumed with the glory of God? How many of you say, I bought that car, and I want it to glorify God? I want it God's parking lot every time the doors are open. I want to haul people to the house of God. When a missionary comes through town, I want to offer it to the man of God. That's not why most vehicles are bought. They're bought for desire, pleasure, status. That house. Let me ask you what you've done with that house for the honor and the glory of God. How have you used your house for the honor and glory? No, you've become consumed. Because every time... A person walks into another house, they get another idea. Boy, I'd like to change that, and I'd like to add that, and I'd I'd like to put in that new floor and uh, buy a new couch, and, uh, you know, I need a new bedroom set, and I'd like to change the color of the paint at the deck. And I'm not saying any of that is sinful. It's sinful when instead of using that house for the glory of God, uh, it becomes Nahashton. And all across this nation, Christians are making their houses Nahashton. Consume, literally, literally living all week long from dawn till dusk about the payment of their mortgage in order to live in a certain neighborhood Nahashton you know why God's glory is not spread through the whole earth because Satan gets you to change God's glory for Nahashton We don't look at the things of this life as Nahushton, a thing of brass. It's going to pass away. It doesn't matter. We're consumed with it. And when it's broke, we respond just like the Israelites. We scream, we holler, we kick, we fuss. Because God took Nahushton from us. Look what it says in Acts 19. Let me ask you, speaking of the city of Ephesus... You guys remember the story, Paul comes, he preaches, verse 23, the same time there rose no small stir. I like Christians that are stirred up, get people stirred up, amen? If you're not stirring anyone up, it's because you're not stirred up. You need the Holy Spirit to stir you up. You say, I'm just not the type that gets stirred up. Yeah, you do. Just not in church. Just not about the things of God. But a certain man named Demetrius, verse 24, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be said it not, but also the temple, the great goddess Diana should be despised. Her magnificence should be destroyed. Now let me ask you this. How silly does this sound to you as a Christian? He's talking about a God made with hands. Eyes and cannot see. Hands and cannot lift. Feet and cannot walk. Ears that can't hear. He's making these little images and saying... What an accusation. This Paul has had such an effect, an impact in our community, we're going bankrupt. If this keeps going the way it's going, we're going to be out of business. Can you imagine if we were putting the ungodly out of business in Austin, Texas? Can you imagine if bars were shutting down because of Cap City? Isn't it amazing? All across the city, churches are growing, buildings are being built that supposedly the, the church of God uh, is growing but wickedness is thriving. Tell me that makes sense. If if churches, if the church of God was really growing and, and Christianity was really spreading, guess what would happen? Bars would be closed. Those in businesses of wickedness would be shut down. And Paul had such a great impact. Here's the accusation. That man is affecting our business. Now, what were they passionate about? What were they stirred up about? Nahashton. Now, let me ask you this. What makes their Nahashton any different than ours? They're standing up saying, great is the goddess Diana. And here's what Christians are doing. What a wonderful house I have. What a beautiful car I have. Their lives are screaming. Great is the goddess, Nahashton. Now here's the problem. The work of God, the spread of the gospel, the glory of God always comes at the same price, the same cost. Nahashton. Remember back with Hezekiah? In order for God to be glorified, Nahashton has to be destroyed. The spread of the gospel means it's going to cost you something. The glory of God in this church, in our lives, in our homes, and across this city and across this planet, it's going to cost us Nahushton. Now, what are we not willing to lose for the sake of the gospel? You know why people get nervous, missions conference time? It's going to cost them Nahushton. So it's easy for us to point the finger at these men, these people in this city, the Bible says they're confused. They cause an uproar. They start to scream. Two hours they cry out, great is the goddess Dana, That's serious. That's committed. Let's have you show the same fever, the same passion as the world shows for Nahushton. Here's the real principle I want you to get tonight. We have to be consumed about God's glory. Our lives are supposed to be passionate about the glory of God. There's only one problem. Being passionate about God and His glory means it costs us nushed. How painful it is to see that thing of brass beaten and broken. I want you to think about all we work for in life things of brass, it's all brass. We bought that house, and if you go in that big high ceiling, you look at the loft out of our living room, you see this I don't know if it's a crack or a tear or whatever it is, the seam coming apart. The house is only eight years old. It's Nahushton. That's what Nahushton does. That nice suit that you had, the cot in the spring of the car seat, put a nice little Zorro cut. <laughs> Just lower than where the suit coat covers. You know how the way it is. It's Nahushton. Glasses fall and break. Your phone slips out of your hand. You left it on the restaurant table or the top of your car. And Why are we so disturbed about Nahushton? Here's what Paul calls Nahushton. He has a different name for it. Look in Philippians 3. He calls it something totally different. Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things were gain That's brass. That's the things of this life. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He doubtless I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, he is my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but. Here's what Paul calls Nahushton in in simple English. Dong. Don't look at me like that. You're from Texas. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You don't have to travel far or drive outside the city to find a cow pasture and a cow patty. You walk over there. And if your child thinks about throwing a chip, you say, hey, put that down. How many of you happen to be carrying any of that loss in your pocket tonight? You stuffed a little in your purse. Brought some with you. Now, Nahashton is hard to let loose up. But Dong, something totally different. The question is, how you classify it in your mind. Because for some, that's my brazen serpent. And for another, it's Nahashton. But for a sold-out, dedicated child of God, he says, I count all things, any gain, any Nahashton, it's done. This is why the glory of God doesn't consume us. This is why the world's unreached. Do you think about everything we have to reach our city and how little we've actually reached? Everything's at our disposal. From tracks and Bibles, radio, and the team to knock on the doors, the people to preach on the streets. There's only one problem. Now, Hushton seems to get in the way. You know there's a financial collapse that is coming. You know at some point in your lifetime, you'll have to live with less, probably much less you'll have to tighten your belt, get rid of some unnecessary expenses, find ways to cut corners and live cheaper, which won't be an issue if you have the right perspective. And the right perspective is, it's on the hushed in I don't care how fancy that car is, how nice that house is, how soft that carpet is. I don't care if it's a sleep number bed or a pillow top mattress. It's all Nahushten. The they lived without it for 6,000 years. It's Nahushten. But the problem is not living without it. The problem is when we're not chasing or consumed with the glory of God, we become idol makers just like Demetrius. And we've made that car into an idol. We made that house into an idol. How hard and how long would you weep if you lost it? And all those things you've worked so hard to accumulate. Would you sacrifice that for the glory of God? Here's what we've said. I'm going to separate a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, a little bit of energy. To appease my conscience, appease my pastor pacify the church and that way I can use 90% of my life chasing Nahashton and most of the time that we spend on God for God is not about His glory, it's about appeasing our conscience as we chase dunk so in the end it reveals itself when you're chasing Nahashton God's not glorified in your children. That's revealed over time. God's not glorified in your marriage. That's revealed over time. God's not glorified in your ministry. That's revealed over time. God's not glorified in your finances. That's revealed over time. It's all revealed over time. You know why we so admire these missionaries? You can't live the life the brother Hoffmeister's lived if you're consumed with the Go to Isaiah 6 and we'll be done. When we we truly see God in his glory, we get a true vision, God in his greatness. Verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, uh, high uh, and lifted up. You know know what's happening to Christians in this generation? They don't have a proper understanding of God. Listen, what, what you see on bumper stickers and T-shirts, that's a revelation of man's concept of God. And the necklace and in the earring, it's a misconception of God. No wonder our young people live the way they do. No wonder our Christians live the way they do. They have a misconception of a holy and righteous God. When Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, his train filled the temple, above us stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, What? This is God, holy, holy, holy. If Christians, listen, if our young people could just understand this, it would change their dress. It would change their speech. It would change their music. It would change their thoughts. It would change their lifestyle. God is not someone in heaven ignoring the behavior of his children, laughing at their concept of grace. Holy Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full. What is he consumed with? His glory. What happened to Isaiah when he had a true picture and the right concept of God? Verse 5. Then what did he say? Then said I, woe is me. Why is this generation not saying these words? Whatever God they're serving is not the God of this book. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes, what changed him? Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here's what happened, verse 8. When he saw God's glory, he became consumed with it. I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who go for us? Then said I, here am I. Let me pursue his glory. You know why your kids are unconcerned about God's glory? You've never taught them who God is. When they see God in his glory, his glory doesn't matter. In Christianity, Christians, we're talking about the cream of the crop, the faithful, the ones that show up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We're not talking about the bystanders. We're not talking about those that come and go. We're talking about the committed, the upper 10%, the finest that we have, consuming the hushed. Can we say tonight, in all honesty, I came here tonight with my family consumed with God's glory. I want God to be glorified in the way I enter the building. I want God to be glorified in my singing. I want God to be glorified in my thought process. I want God to be glorified in the way the Holy Spirit's working in my life. I want God to be glorified in the way we sit, in the place we sit, in the way we participate, in the way we greet others. And I want God to be glorified in my offering. But if we're not seeking His glory on Sunday, I can guarantee you on Monday, that's the last thing that's passing through our minds. And if we can't teach our children to seek the glory of God in this setting, they're definitely not seeking the glory of God in a different setting. If a child cannot glorify God with the pressure of 300 eyes on him, how can he glorify God when all alone? If a teenager can't glorify God with a pastor and an assistant pastor and a missionary and preachers and college students surrounding him and watching his every move. You think when you leave that child at home on Monday, the thought of God and His glory even crosses their mind? You know what we need? Christians on Monday that are consumed with the glory of God Today is about your glory. I want you glorified in my spirit. I want you glorified in my thoughts. I want you glorified in my body. This is about your honor, your glory. You know how we evangelize the world? When Christians get consumed with his glory.